0: The Bible reading this evening is from Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, would you indeed be our instructor tonight? Would you teach us lovingly from your word and guide us? Lord, where we need to be redirected, Lord, would you point the way? where we need to be stopped short in our tracks because we're going the wrong way. Lord, would you call a halt and turn us, have us surrender and bow the knee in repentant hearts and follow in step with the Spirit, the way of the Saviour. Heavenly Father, where we are on track, would you encourage and confirm that in us, And I pray, Lord, that I might speak your word faithfully. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the third day, God gets busy with his creation. And we're told, interestingly, in the ninth verse about all the things that God does on that third day. It's the day where he gets waters and he gathers them to one place. And where the bits aren't gathered, he calls those bits land and the other bits seas. And on the land, we're told that he gets busy after separating these two elements, filling the land. And when you read about the filling, it's quite specific. He says, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. It's a fair bit of detail. You're told not only that there's seeds, but the seeds are of their kind and they're to be planted and they'll be able to bear fruit with seed in it. And then the very next verse goes on to tell you that that's exactly what happened. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the third day. It's interesting, isn't it? Right, from the very, very beginning of God's creation, he sets about a pattern where he creates seeds that will be able to be planted, of their kind and bear fruit. They'll grow into a tree that will actually bear another seed. In fact, not just one, multiples and multiples and multiples and on and on it goes. So into this creation where God says, "Let there be, and there is," he immediately builds in the secondary causes. The one himself who's got no cause that caused him to be, says that in his creation there's going to be this multiplying thing. And it'll be true in plants, it'll be true in animals and human, and across God's creation he will build this replicating process in place. And so here, a bag of... Well, that's actually a bag of rice. I wanted to get a bag of seeds, but I couldn't do it. So a bag of rice. And so imagine this is a seed that if you plant that, it produces another stalk of rice. That then more rice and more and more and more. And look, you can imagine, can't you? Just the, the proliferation of life that comes when something like a seed bears fruit. And of course, what I've told you doesn't surprise you probably didn't even need it in Genesis 1 to know that it's what happens because it's common practice. It has been for all of human history. In fact, for all of history, people have understood you plant something, it grows, you can cultivate it, you can grow more. It's really simple, really obvious. And then what we discover in our passage tonight is what's true in that botanical realm is exactly the same kind of principle that's at work in verse 7. Whereas we come to think about God's Word, we come to think about what we could learn from the farmer. And there's something we're to learn about sowing and reaping. And we're told a very simple principle up front. Don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And so Paul picks up this very well-understood picture of um, botany, a law that's established. A seed can only reproduce itself and of its kind. So you, you plant the rice and, uh, and, and you know, i put into the ground and I'm super excited. You say, how's it going? I'm super excited. I'm expecting a bumper crop. How much did you sow? Well, just one. But a bumper crop, I'm hoping they'll come forward. I'm looking forward. And what are you looking forward to? Mangoes this season, perhaps? And you say, think, well, you're absurd. I, you'll get rice. I might want for mangoes. I might even pray for mangoes, but I'm going to get rice. Super obvious, it's only a helpful corrective if you've been trying to grow mangoes from planting rice, but this absolute universal understood principle that's known by the farmer and the gardener, and in fact, even little kids are learning it thanks to Woolies, knows no exception in our experience. Whatever one sows is what they will also reap. And now in Galatians, Paul says... What is very apparent in the physical world may be less obvious to you, but applies in the realms of morality and spirituality, in your moral and spiritual realms. And actually, it's not like this is a new idea by the time you get to Galatians. The Bible is full of this principle. Job says, those who plough evil and sow trouble reap the same. In Hosea, he says, those who sow in the wind will, will reap that, will reap a whirlwind. Paul elsewhere in Corinthians says that those who sow generously will reap generously, and those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. See, that, that's another great principle, isn't it? If I wanted to grow a little, then I would just sow a little. But if I want to sow, if I want to reap a lot, a big harvest, I'll sow so much that I might sow. In order to. Not so sparingly and reap sparingly, but, but so generously reap generously. And it's been pointed out that in fact you could actually turn to the Book of Proverbs and realise that the entire book of Proverbs really is about this principle worked out the idea of sowing and reaping. And and Paul is concerned that the Galatians Christians Galatian Christians know this because there's a capacity that they may have to be deceived about this. Or think that God's actually not telling them the truth about this principle. That a person reaps what they sow. He goes on to say, if you sow to please the flesh or the sinful nature. And in Galatians we've been thinking about that already, what it is to live uh, either pleasing the spirit or pleasing the sinful nature. And he says, if you want to sow to please the sinful nature, you'll reap destruction. But if you want to sow to please the spirit, you will reap destruction eternal life. And don't be deceived about that. Now, I want to say, though, that it's not just it sounds like you might be deceived. I think you might be shocked as you hear Paul say that in Galatians 6. Because all through this letter, Paul has been arguing that good works, what it sounds like he's talking about here, about sowing and how you live your life and what you do, they all count for nothing. Because as you think back on the problem that was gripping the Galatian church... People have infiltrated into that church who were identified by Paul as false teachers. And they are teaching that you get accepted by God by believing in Jesus and his death and by living a good life, specifically by your morality and your religious observance. So there's a whole issue of circumcision as a demonstration of your obedience and faithfulness to the law. You must do that. And Paul says you must not. It can't be like that. And so Paul argues forcibly against that kind of teaching. And he says over and over again that the gospel is faith in Jesus plus nothing. Jesus has already done all the good work. So believe Jesus and rest in his performance and his obedience. Not your performance. and Not your obedience. And so remember that Jesus was obedient to death and even death on the cross. And it was only for the Galatian church by believing in Jesus' works alone and trusting in him that they would be right with God. And that's no less true for us. Paul goes on to say then, if you want to add anything to your faith, even good works, as the thing you're going to trust in, even if that good work looked like your morality or your religious observance, then you lost the gospel. You lost the good news. You think that it's something about what you have done and not what Christ has done for you. You've really rejected Christ and lost life. See, it's it's all of God's grace or it's nothing, says Paul. And so doesn't it sound weird then to get to this verse that says, a man reaps what he sows. It sounds like he's saying, at the end of a letter that's been all about grace, freely given, that now you better go on and do good works, maybe just so you can be sure, cover your bases but it's even weirder still because the stakes seem so high as you come to this passage, reaping eternal life or destruction are on offer, if you want to sow to the sinful nature, you'll reap destruction, sow to the spirit, you'll reap everlasting life. Weird? You need to know straight up that this is not a contradiction and it's not teaching us a form of karma. Paul's already made it so plainly clear that salvation is by grace alone. But he also wants to know that those who follow Christ believe and understand that the grace that they have received is never alone. There are consequences and outworkings in this life that have an impact on this life and the next. If you think perhaps across to elsewhere where Paul talks about this topic in Ephesians, a famous passage that speaks about the the very gift of God for salvation, that it is by grace you've been saved through faith, that even this faith is not from yourself, it is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. Super clear. Verse ten. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's handiwork, those that bear his name and his character, his images, mean, that are meant to outwork and outlive the transformation, to, to, to live transformed to do good works, created, in fact, in Christ Jesus to do good works. So the very same Bible that tells you that you will not be condemned because you have the free gift of eternal life also says inspect your life and live your life knowing that you were created to outwork that faith. It's meant to impact you. It's not free license to do whatever you want what you do matters. What you reap, you will sow. Otherwise, you will cheapen grace. And this is the problem that Galatians needs to be thinking about. That takes the freedom that they have received and turns it into license. We're free. We We can do whatever we want. No, no. Free to be a slave to righteousness. So, so what Paul does is he gives you the doctrine of grace, which we've been talking about, and that overcomes our self-righteousness. that says that we could save ourselves. Or it overcomes our legalisms. that says that just by mere obedience and law-keeping, we might get saved. It spares us from being full of pride. that says, I could do this myself. Or the thought of despair that says, I can't live up to the perfect standard. And says, what God offers you is a free gift of salvation. Believe on the finished work of Christ. It is all of grace. You get the doctrine of grace and you also get the doctrine of sowing and reaping. So that we don't turn God's gracious gift of the righteousness of Jesus into an excuse to live in the flesh for the flesh. It's actually saying then, think of your life in response to what you've received. Will you live in the flesh? For the flesh, sowing to that, having a lazy and worldly and selfish life, spent pleasing your sinful nature. And Paul says, no. Don't you know the pattern and the ordering? See, remember, God has rescued you to do good works. Your incentive is gratitude. You have received what you don't deserve. But another great incentive is to remember the principle of sowing and reaping. And so God wants to say, Take the free gift. Take it and take care with what you do with this life that I have given you. Because otherwise you'll just presume on grace and you'll live like there's been no transforming power. That the spirit that now dwells in you doesn't actually lead you or transform you. You quench that spirit and you walk as you would want to walk. You bear no fruit of the Spirit because you seek to serve yourself. And Paul turns to that church in Galatia. And we need to turn to ourselves tonight and ask is that what we're doing? Are we deceived? Do you think that you can sow to the flesh and not reap corruption or disintegration or destruction? See, all of that sounds quite abstract, doesn't it? Paul actually makes it very concrete in his letter to the church in Galatia, where he lists off in the previous chapter what the acts of the flesh are, what it looks like to sow to the flesh. And so could you sow into that and to live your life pursuing these things, sexual immorality and impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft and hatred and discord and jealousy and fits of rage and selfish ambition, dissension, factions and envy and drunkenness and orgies and the like. You can just dot, dot, dot. And and Daniel helped us think about this a few weeks ago. Think about what it is to to respond in our lives to pleasing and living for the flesh, to sow into it. And if this was the flesh, to to kind of think, well, just today, just, you know, just... A little, and hope it grows. Because it's fun, and it feels, and it's this, and it's that, and it's security, and it's all the things, so I'll sow a bit. But I'll sow here, and I want to reap. Well, I'll reap what I've sown. So we sow, and we sow, and we sow, and we sow. And the acts of the flesh, is you sow into that space, no different to what you were before you knew Christ. Can you sow into these things, live like this, and think that the fruit will be in step with the Spirit? Do you think you're the exception to the rule? Because the rule's super simple. It's right back there in Genesis chapter 1. Everyone's known it throughout all of human history. Go anywhere in the world in any time, and you'll find that every person understands that agricultural process of sowing and reaping. What you sow, you will reap. And even though the seed may lie in the ground for a long time. It'll sprout. Oh, it might bring forth the fruit that you want as you sow to please your sinful nature. And in it goes. Year after year, decade after decade. And maybe you only see the good things and the joys and the privileges. But the trajectory, says Paul, and according to God's word, is that it As you sow to please your sinful nature, you will reap destruction. It may lay dormant, but it will come to sprout. And so you realise that it's actually about the sowing, not the reaping, that determines the harvest. How much is sown to please ourselves or to live in step with the Spirit? And so as Paul has been doing this, he's flicking us again to realise that what might be true in the physical world is true in the moral and spiritual realms. And if you think you can escape from reaping what you have sown, or that you can reap something different from what you've sown, think again. God's behind this law of sowing and reaping and God can't be mocked. This is the way that God's made his world. He's made it so that farmers can sow rice and they can crop rice. They can can reap it later on. And in this world, men and women sow certain moral and spiritual actions and they reap from those consequences. See, one way to think about seeing this illustrated is if you do go to a place like Proverbs and see how it works itself out. And how you might choose which way you'll actually live tomorrow. Pride, sow into that, self-importance or humility. And Proverbs tells you, well, pride, when you sow into that, ultimately it comes to disgrace. But does it? I mean, look around at our world that just lavishes pride. Wants to live as if you're the most important person in the world. Does it really come to disgrace? They're the people that are on all of the billboards and have everything. Aren't they the ones? No, no, no. Just wait long enough. It'll bear the fruit. But with humility comes wisdom. Sow into that. And there's wisdom. You can do this with many Proverbs. I just took a selection from early on in Proverbs. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath. Sow into that. To please yourself, amass yourself, your security, and that looks tremendously wise. Live like you can do all the things that you need to do by getting all the things that you have for you. Well, well done you. So into that, know that it will not serve you in the day of God's judgment. But righteousness delivers from death. To live a life in step, enslaved, if you like, to righteousness, in step with the Spirit. Knows deliverance. A wicked person earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness will reap a sure reward. So think about the job you do or the job you want to do. Is it one that is actually about flourishing in God's world and loving? Is there things? Is there a way? Even the way that money is earned and how you fill out your timesheet or how you pay your employees—all those things—seems to mean you could get ahead. Or save some bucks. And yet the one who does so is wicked. But the one who sows righteously and does the things that are required will in the end, play it out long enough, reap the sure reward. There's a few more, but I'll skip past them. This one's kind of nice. The one who loves discipline. right? Let's sow into that. Well, that's, who's that? Loves knowledge. But whoever hates correction is stupid. So when you think about being corrected, even sitting under God's Word as you read it, and even as you come to think about what Galatians is calling upon you and me this evening, will you listen to that correction? Or will you say, no, I want to sow to please myself? Because the risk of actually keeping in step with the Spirit just feels so isolating or frightening. Well, take the correction of God's Word. Otherwise, according to Proverbs, you've sown into a place of stupidity. Now, realise that this is the way that the world works. And and there's a sense in which that works for all people in all time. But realise that Paul is writing to professing Christians. This is a letter to the church. His audience is us. And so as you read your Bibles and as you see the principle play out in people's lives again and again, do you realise the wisdom of this? Don't be deceived. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh, will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit, will reap eternal life. And so there's this wonderful principle played out. In fact, you can go back through the Bible and actually see that principle played out again and again and again in people's lives. Even people who know God's favour and his forgiveness still see that where they have sown to please their sinful nature, the reaping of those consequences. I mean, years ago, I remember years ago preaching through 2 Samuel and thinking about the consequence of David and his actions and has he sowed to please his sinful nature in various ways, but specifically in his adultery with Bathsheba, as it plays itself out in the lives of his kids. For Amnon, he rapes his half-sister. For Absalom, who will not respect his father. And it just goes on and on and you just see reaping from what was sown. Paul elsewhere says an interesting point around this because you may think this is about restricting because I want to live for me and sow to my sinful nature and get what I want, but God's telling us about how we ought to live and keep in step with His Spirit because He wants to demonstrate His love for us. It's actually built for us to flourish. It's to live with wisdom, to live consistently as one who has now received everlasting life and is in step with that. And so making the decided choice to sow to the spirit and to see what that will mean and that that's loving that god shows us that corrective and we know that it's loving because we do the same thing with our own kids or within our own families we find that that you want to protect them and guide them into the place that is actually wise and where they'll flourish paul says in 1 corinthians 15 verse 33 don't be misled bad company, corrupts good character. I remember hearing that when I was growing up from my parents and from a teacher at one point in time when I was in year eight about some people I was hanging out with. I did not want to listen to that instruction but it was lovingly born to me. Be very careful about the people that you hang out with, Leland. Be careful about the way that they will lead you. So into that place... And know that you will reap a consequence. It's loving. And he's the God who knows us and who's built us, who is loving and he's saying, I want you to know how to live. Here's this principle. Live like this. And it's incredibly practical, I want to suggest. This week I was listening to a sermon by Alistair Begg on this same passage. And he was talking about how for years he was trying to find the the magic bullet, the magic beam that would kind of transform the way he would live his Christian life to make him more like Christ. And he says it's actually this passage. It was this. Because every day he, wants to, he has to wake up and he has to think, which field am I going to sow in? Because I know the field that I tempted to sow in, but which field am I going to sow in? I'm going out into the world and where will I sow today? I'm going out with my friends. Will I sow to... to uh, Uh, Will I sow into the field of my sinful nature? Will I sow into the spirit? I'm dating this girl. I'm dating this guy. I'm having a gap here. Which field will I sow into? Will I sow into the flesh? I'm entering into this business deal. Will I sow into the spirit? Will I sow into the flesh? I'm going into this course at university. Is it motivated out of a desire for the sinful nature or for the spirit? Am I following God? Because where we do the sowing determines the nature of the reaping. It's that principle. And so where are you sowing in your life? And when we sow to the flesh, we fail to do what we should do, which is crucify sin. And when we do that, we agree to do what we shouldn't do, which is cuddle sin. Thanks to Alastair Begg. Crucify it or cuddle it it reminds you how this passage begins when it talks about being deceived and knowing that the father of deception is the devil himself it is his native tongue and what does he look like a cuddly dog or a roaring lion and Paul is saying a roaring lion do not be deceived you think that you could live now with this grace that you've received and do whatever you want don't you know don't you know Do not be deceived. It does not work that way. And so we're given this powerful principle. And there's that little rhyme from years ago that kind of sums it up. You sow a thought, you'll reap an action. Sow an action, you'll reap a habit. Sow a habit, you'll reap a character. Sow a character, you reap a destiny. Are you deceived? Do you understand the principle? Because from the farmer, there's another lesson to be learnt. And it is that farmers persevere. It's to hang in there. Look at verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And so the message, hang in there. For the challenge that it is to sow to the Spirit and to wait to know what it is to honour God with our lives and to not give up. But you can see people sowing in those other fields and they're flourishing. Shouldn't I do that? Isn't the cost too high? Tim Keller on this chapter points out the idea that the value of the harvest is greater than the cost of the seed. I invite you just to meditate upon that thought. The value of the harvest. See, see from the seed that comes and the crop that's produced, the seed might cost you this much, but the value of the harvest, the kingdom, eternal life. This life is very short. Wait and persevere. Hang in there. Do not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And so if there was for us a principle, there's the promise that comes from the farmer. Wait and trust. And know that there's a way to live. From the principle comes the promise and leads us to the procedure, verse 10. therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The reminder to us, that the one who offers us salvation gave of himself self-sacrifice and says there's the pattern. That's what it looks like to sow to the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to live not for yourself but to live doing good to all people. And that it ought begin with the sisters and brothers of believers because if we can't love our brothers and sisters whom we know and who we share this common grace, what hope do we have in serving and loving our neighbours? Which we're also called and commanded to do. So live not for yourself and pleasing your sinful nature. But instead, know that what you reap you will sow. So reap, sorry, so sow to the spirit. Sow to the things that God has called you to do, living for him. And as we finish... I just want to ask you if you'll go from here tonight and think that you are the exception to the rule. That you can actually live out the impossible application from this passage. That you indeed can reap everlasting life, God's favour and all those things just by continually sowing to your sinful nature. Are you the exception to the rule? Well, look at verse 7 again and be reminded God cannot be mocked. God's right on this topic. And so do not be deceived. Have God's truth whisper in your ear. So do the Spirit today. In this conversation and in this thought, the things that you're filling your mind with and occupying your time, where you're investing your life and your money and your intellect, so do the Spirit. Do not be deceived. And instead of being deceived, surrender. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, would you give us eyes to see how we are living our lives? Lord, Lord, would you expose those places in our lives where we are indeed living for ourselves and we know it. We're sowing to the flesh. It's seen in our behaviours and in our thoughts. It occupies the primary place in our conversations and in our hopes and aspirations and in our dreams. And Lord, would you give us confessing lips that we might repent and repent because we recognise the wonderful gift of your grace that rescues us and what it is to live then for you and no longer Enslaved to the flesh. But instead, in step with your Spirit, Lord, would you show us today, now in our thoughts, what it would look like for us to sow to the Spirit what it might look like for us in our speech and in our truth speaking, in our encouragement, in our generosity, in our hospitality, in our love for one another, in our giving and doing good for all people. Oh, Heavenly Father, may we look to your Son and follow that pattern of how he sowed his life and was in step with you. Lord, would you again direct our eyes to the principle of surrender as we remember that we reap what we sow and so we want to sow our lives before you tonight. We want to do it abundantly, knowing, Lord, that if we were to sow sparingly, It would be a sparing reaping that would come, but that we might give our lives abundantly to you. And we ask for this enabling in Jesus' name. Amen.